Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Calm Mysteries the sequel by Jeffrey Deaver, read by Perry F. Bruns. Frederick Lowell found comfort in train travel. He'd looked into an Amtrak journey to Asheville, but learned that while the price was right, the duration was not. Fourteen hours to get to Spartanburg, which was still an hour away from Asheville by car. What would Sam Spade do? A private eye owes allegiance to his assignment, not his personal preference. So Lowell booked a flight and by noon was in the Asheville Public Library, where he spent the better part of the day browsing old newspapers for references to Goodwin. Merely a few spotted-on-the-street sorts of comments, but at least they confirmed that the author had traveled there. There were also plenty of tidbits on the Hudson House. From there, he walked up the street to the courthouse and its public records department. He pieced together that the Hudson House Inn had ceased operation during the 90s, a local businessman had bought the dilapidated place and filed papers to turn it into a museum. 
though the process, which involved a great deal of fundraising, was moving slowly. He called the man, Harold Wilkins, who immediately agreed to meet him. Wilkins was excited at the possibility that the inn might have been the site where the sequel to Cedar Hills Road had been written. This would add to the place's museum ability. Wilkins said that, yes, he'd carefully preserved all the records of the 90-year history of the place, though they weren't stored in the unoccupied Hudson House itself. For protection from the humidity of the brutal North Carolina summers and the risk of fire, they were in Wilkins's air-conditioned garage. Twenty minutes later, the lawyer was at the modest brown clapboard house where the Birkenstock-wearing, forty-ish Wilkins and his wife lived. Unlike the siblings, the enthusiastic Wilkins was a proper host, plying Lowell with tea so sweet it took his breath away. Lowell hadn't known so much sugar could fit in a single glass. They stood in the kitchen, chatting about the museum. Wilkins didn't much pause to allow the lawyer to speak, going on in his sorghum-thick accent about his plans. We'll have a lot more, of course, than the Thomas Wolfe House does, with all respect. We're including the fire of 1937, the Biltmore, local wine, tobacco, and, of course, the Battle of Asheville. April 1865, 300 Confederate troops repulsed Union General Isaac Kirby's 1,000 regulars. It was a glorious day. Then, as if he suddenly realized Lowell was a Yank, he added, There were only minor casualties. Finally, he led Lowell to the garage. The man had done a good job organizing and preserving artifacts. Boxes were labeled and stacked by year. Guest registers, correspondence, business records, receipts, tax returns, mementos. Lowell asked the obvious first question. Had anyone found a manuscript that a guest might have left behind years ago? No, no, a grimace. I would have remembered that. Great exhibit in the museum, just think about it, but feel free to browse. Wilkins nodded toward the hundred or so boxes and then retired to the corner where he began to lovingly polish a pair of antique candlesticks. Lowell started on the boxes for 1966 and 1967. He flipped open the lid and began rifling carefully through the papers. He learned that Edward Goodwin had indeed been a frequent guest there throughout the entire time that the sequel would have been written. He'd taken the same room, 2B, and paid in advance for several weeks at a time. Yet nothing suggested the existence of any manuscript he was working on or gave the names of people or places that might have helped in Lowell's search. An hour later, his back aching, he was about to take a break when he glanced down at a carbon copy of a letter dated in the fall of 67. The letter from the then owner of the inn was addressed to Lowell's own father. September 28, 1967, Robert Lowell Esquire, 751 7th Avenue, New York, New York. Dear Mr. Lowell, I was given your name as the attorney representing the estate of the late Mr. Edward Goodwin by his publishing company. First, let me offer my condolences upon the loss of Mr. Goodwin. He was a regular and revered guest here, and we all feel his loss most deeply. May I say, too, that Cedar Hills Road was one of my favorite books, and I am honored to have a copy he most graciously inscribed to me and my family. Now for the reason I'm writing. Just after Mr. Goodwin passed, a large box arrived here addressed to him, the return address was Statesville, Pennsylvania. As it was marked personal, we didn't feel it proper to open the carton. I am forwarding it here with in hopes you will make certain his family receives it. Very truly yours, Hanley Casey Beaumont, proprietor of the Hudson House Inn, Asheville, North Carolina. The address was the same building on 7th Avenue where Lowell's present office was located. He read the letter again. 
Why does Statesville sound familiar? He thought for a moment. It seemed to have to do with the John Coe story. He pulled out his phone and placed a call to Samuel Coe, the prisoner's brother. He explained what he'd found and asked about the name Statesville. Coe confirmed it was both the name of the prison and the small suburb of Pittsburgh where the place was located. Perhaps it was where Goodwin had stayed during the months of interviewing John. Lowell thanked him and disconnected. Keep going, Lowell prodded himself. What could be in the box? Notes from John Everett Coe for Goodwin's true crime story? Materials Goodwin had shipped to himself from Statesville? Or had the prison officials themselves sent something the author had left behind? He called his assistant. After Frederick had explained what he'd found, Caitlin said, I'll take a look at Mr. Lowell's archives. Frederick was Frederick to Caitlin. Robert was and would forever be Mr. Lowell. Lowell waited for no more than three minutes when she came back on the line. I think I found something. Thank you, detectives, for listening to tonight's Calm Mystery by the Murder Mystery Company. I'm Perry F. Bruns. Would you like to show somebody you care? Is there a mystery fan in your life? Couldn't they use a quiet moment and a great story? I'm doing personal stories of 20 minutes or less. Something personal like this can make a friend or family member feel truly loved in an otherwise dark time. They're only $49, and you can email me at calmmystery, that's C-A-L-M mystery, at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay tuned for more tales to tingle and terrify while giving you a needed break from the outside world.